Well, today's message is called Sharing Secrets. Sharing Secrets. And it's because we love doing that as humans. There's something thrilling about being one of the few people to learn something and having the privilege of telling somebody something they don't know for the first time. There are many secrets that we can share. I know some people like sharing secret recipes. I know there's a secret fudge recipe in the Toon family, but I'm sure other families have wonderful secret recipes they pass one to another. If you're into video games, maybe you know some secret areas or secret levels in your favorite game. I know in some of the older games, there were things you could jump up in a certain area and you could go right to the final boss in the first few levels if you knew the secret. You also may know a secret way to do something, like to get a machine to work. I remember growing up, we had a lawnmower that there was a very secret way to get it started. The instruction said you just had to prime it two times and then it was ready to go. But the secret was if you primed it five to seven times and then pulled the the starting cord at just the right angle, it would start. But that was a secret. Someone had to tell you that if you wanted to use our lawnmower. So we're going to talk about some sharing secrets today. This is our last week in the epistle, the letter to the Philippian church. This is such an encouraging letter. Studying it, though, has made me miss my church family very, very much. Because this is Paul separated from a church that he loves, socially distant from them. But he still wants all of them to rejoice together and to grow together. And he's wrapping up his letter with some final instructions to this church that he loves and this church that has supported him so faithfully. In fact, these last couple of verses, if it was me, I would condense them all and just say, thank you for the gift. That's all Paul's really trying to say, but he just can't help himself. All he really has to communicate is thank you for the gift, but he turns everything into a teaching moment. Even though he's in prison, miles and miles away, he wants to share some secrets. In fact, he wants to share four secrets, four final truths for the Christian life that he wants to tell this church he loves so much. So let's read our passage and see if we can find what these four secrets are that Paul wants to share with the Philippians and with us. I'll be reading chapter 4, verses 10 through 23 from the English Standard Version. Paul says in verse 10, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Verse 14, yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving, except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. 
I have received a full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this passage and this time we have in it. Thank you for these past few weeks we've been able to spend in Philippians and the encouragement it has been to us even when we are far apart. God, as we wrap up our time in this book, I pray that you would teach us these secrets. Teach us the secret of contentment, of giving, of greeting, of grace. And we know these secrets and know that they're all about you. They're all about your son, Jesus Christ. So God, we pray that he may increase, we may decrease, so that we may know him more, see him in all things. I pray that he will be the focus of our study this morning. It's in his name that I pray. Amen. So in these verses, Paul starts with the secret of contentment. The secret of contentment. And that secret is, I can do all things through Christ. The secret of contentment is that I can do all things through Christ. As he says in verse 10, the Philippians messenger Epaphroditus had arrived in probably Rome where Paul was in prison and arrived with a financial gift. And Paul's celebrating that. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that you've revived your concern for me. But the reason he just arrived is because they had not had an opportunity or a chance to give before now. He says, you were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. They had looked for opportunities to support Paul, and so now they seized their chance. They probably knew where he was. They'd heard he was in prison in Rome, and they knew that one of their church members, Epaphroditus, was going there. So they sent him with a financial gift. In verse 11, Paul says he is very grateful for their financial support, but he wants the Philippians to know that he has learned to be content. It says, not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. Whatever the situation, whatever the circumstance, Paul knows how to be content. And this is a, a big statement from Paul. Paul had a very rough life, probably worse than any that we have experienced. He was in prison regularly. He was beaten multiple times. He even was shipwrecked once, but instead of complaining to God about all these things he was suffering and experiencing, Paul decided to trust him. He decided to trust the Lord. He didn't let his circumstances determine his attitude. He didn't let them determine his relationship with God or his approach to life. And look at the words he says here. He says, learned. I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. 
there's almost kind of a challenge here to the Philippians and really a challenge to us as well, that if Paul learned this, they too should learn, they should discover the knowledge of this secret. And contentment is something that has to be learned. It did not come easily, did not come naturally. Paul had to learn it by God's grace and through disciplining his mind to think with an attitude that honored the Lord. And he probably had a long series of successes and failures. He was probably more content on some days than he was on others. And contentment is a lifelong learning process. But if we know the secret of contentment, then we can have it too. As Paul says in verse 12, his life has been full of extremes. I know what it is to be brought low. I know how to abound in any and every circumstance. I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. No matter what in cir- circumstance, with a high, low, somewhere in between, he had learned how he could be content. And Paul talks about particularly the low end of those experiences often in his letters. In the book of 1 Corinthians, he says, to the present hour, we hunger and thirst. We are poorly dressed, buffeted, beaten around, and homeless. Paul's passion, his ministry was starting churches. He started churches in what's now Greece, in Asia Minor, and elsewhere. And he did whatever was necessary, whatever the cost was, to see the gospel, God's word, the good news of Jesus Christ go forth. His passion was telling others about God and knowing God himself and being content with that. And whether he had supplies and wealth or he had to go without, whether he was hungry or whether his stomach was full, he was content. He says to his friend Timothy in 1 Timothy 6, but godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world And we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing with these, we will be content. So Paul knew what it was on the rough side. But, you know, it's true. We still need contentment even when things are going well for us. In fact, we need it just as much when we have much. I would say it's probably more dangerous. It's harder to be content when we have the things that we want because then we're tempted to ignore God, the one who gave it to us in the first place. And that's why contentment is the mark of a mature believer in Jesus Christ. And if we're honest with ourselves, we have to confess how far we are from it. We're too easily discontent and upset. We see things that are wrong. We want things to change. We look at our life. We want more, more, more. Now, we may, may deny that. We may say, no, 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 I, I'm upset right now. But if this one thing was fixed, then I would be content. If, if I had this one thing I want, then I would be perfectly content and I would never want anything ever again. But when we do that, we're really just lying to ourselves. What we need to learn is that God and that faith in Him satisfies. Now, that doesn't mean that we excuse injustice. That doesn't mean that we ignore wrongs or say it's not that important, we can be content in God. No, we should point those things out, but we can still trust God in the midst of them, that He is in control. Because, as He says in verse 13, I can do all things 
through him, through Christ, who strengthens me. That's the secret. The secret to, the, to contentment is that we can do all things through Christ and in his strength. We can trust in him. Scholar J.A. Motyer said, the apostle had learned to be content because he had learned to trust. When we trust Jesus, he satisfies our ultimate longings. He directs us where to go and he gives us the strength to do it. Paul said, I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service. Now, this verse, this Philippians 4.13, it does not mean that God will bless whatever a person does. I know sometimes athletes uh, reference this verse, but I don't want, I'm not going to judge their hearts or, or why they're saying that. But this verse is really not about scoring touchdowns. It's not about getting a promotion at work or acing a test. This is about God giving us the strength for the task that he has called us to do. This is not really a statement of a victorious champion. This is a statement from a broken believer. It's not, I can do all things. It's, oh Lord, I need to remind myself that I can do all things through him who gives me strength. I need him. I need to rely on him to get through this day. Remember, Paul is not preaching at the largest church in the world when he writes this. He's sitting in a prison cell. But he says, even doing that is the all things through Christ who strengthens him. If we know Jesus, if we're dependent on him, then we will find strength. The author of Hebrews puts it this way, keep your life free from the love of money. Be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. If we know Jesus, God will never leave us. And so Paul knew that he could endure all trials. He could live for the Lord every day. He could overcome his own sin because Christ and his strength was with him. And you know what? We can do that too. But the key phrase here is through him or in Christ. He is our sacrifice, our shelter, our strength. The image Paul is going for here, you may remember if you uh, know something about some stories from the Old Testament, if you remember the very first Passover, God's people were told to kill a lamb and put its blood on the sides of their doors and on the top of it. And when the angel of death came, it passed over. If they were inside that door, inside that place that the blood marred. That's what he's saying here. Through Christ, in him, we are in Christ. We are safe and secure. That's the image there. Again, not conquering over everything that we want to, but relying on him when things are hard. We find strength when we run to him. Paul has a really wonderful passage about this in 2 Corinthians 12. He said, but he, Jesus, said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, 
I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. The verse is not about our abilities, our talents. It's relying on His, on Christ's strength in us. He strengthens us. He gives us a firmness of purpose. He enlightens our minds to His truth. He grows us to be like Him. This is a work God is active in in us. It's through Christ God works by the person of the Holy Spirit. It's something presently happening. Look at what it says. Through Him who strengthens me. Not strengthened. It's not something that happened in the past. It's happening right now for God's people. He is at work in us for Christ's glory and for God's glory. And so this is a call for all believers to rely on Christ's strength. If we're relying on Christ, dependent on Him, not seeking after what we want, but relying on Him, doing what He wants, oh, we have no idea what God can do through us. British pastor Charles Spurgeon said, only believe that God can make something of you. Be resolved that you will do something for Christ and you will do it. This reminds us we should not serve God. We should not try to live for him without expressing dependence on him in prayer. In whatever we do, we need him. It's the secret of contentment. It's it's really kind of the secret of life. Now, I know that contentment is hard because this world is so imperfect. I think, if anything, this week has shown this how broken this world is. And we're so often unsatisfied. We see the brokenness, the imperfection, and it makes it really hard to be content. But we can also see it within our own lives within our own hearts and souls. It's easy to look at someone else and say, oh, that, that person over there is not content. Those people there, that they need to learn contentment. Well, let, let's take a moment and look at ourselves. Look, look at you. There's probably areas of discontentment, something you're upset about, some struggle that you're experiencing. And I do not know everything that you're going through or that you're suffering. And I'm so sorry if you're experiencing suffering, I, I wish I could take it from you and take it away. I can't do that. But I can tell you good news. And the good news is that even in the midst of your struggle and your suffering, you can be content. Your situation doesn't have to change. You can know contentment even in it. Because it doesn't come from the situation or the circumstance. It comes through Christ. He can make you content. He can give you joy. Christian, brother, sister in Christ, do not rely on your own strength. Depend on Christ alone. You can make it with his help. Now, if you're watching this and you're not a Christian or you're not sure The reason I address those comments right there to Christians is because if we do not know Jesus, then we can't know true contentment. Oh, we might be content in a moment. I have everything I want right now. I'm content. But that's not 
a lasting circumstance. Eventually, something we have will be gone and we will be discontent again. But true contentment comes if we have a relationship with Jesus Christ. The reason we can't have contentment is because we have sin. We have wrong that we do against others, against God. And this wrong we do separates us from God. We've rebelled against the one true Lord of the universe. But that's why God sent Jesus in the first place. He sent Jesus to live the perfect life that we couldn't, that we fail at all the time. And he died to pay the penalty that our sin and rebellion deserved. He rose from the grave so that we could have a contented relationship with him, a restored relationship with God. So if we turn away from sin, then we can know Jesus and we can know true contentment. And if you don't know him, I pray that you will seek him. I've told you the secret to contentment. Actually, I didn't tell you. Paul told you. And Paul said the secret to contentment is that we can do all things through Christ. So if you want to be content, you need to know Jesus Christ. If you want to be truly content, you need to know him. You can get in touch with me, and I'd be happy to tell you about how you can know him or reach out to someone else. But find out how you can know Jesus Christ. Because if you know him, you can not only be content, but as Paul moves on, we can also know the secret of giving. The secret of giving. This is the point Paul was getting to. All these verses, he's really just trying to say what's right here. But as he shares the secret of giving, he also shares that giving actually benefits us too. In verse 14, Paul thanks the Philippians for their gift. He says, it was kind of you to share in my trouble. They shared in his ministry through their prayer, their financial support. They shared his trouble and affliction, again, by praying for him and caring for him. And remember, this is the ancient world, ancient prisons. The state wasn't paying for you there. You needed to depend on your friends, family, relatives, acquaintances to come to give you money, resources, food in order to stay alive. So he was dependent on them and so thankful for their gifts. And he's even thankful remembering what they used to do. He points out they were the only church in the region of Macedonia that partnered with him. He says in 15, you Philippians yourselves know in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. He had talked about this earlier in the letter. In chapter one, he said, I thank my God and all my remembrance of you. Always in every prayer of mine for you, all making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Paul and the Philippians were partners together in this work. Paul even talks about them with another church. In 2 Corinthians 11, Paul says, I robbed other churches by accepting support from them in order to serve you. When I was with you and was in need, I did not burden anyone for the brothers who came from Macedonia. That's the Philippians. They supplied my need. When he went to other places, the Philippians continued to give him support. They supported him twice when he went to the very next 
city that he spent time in. 16, even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. But Paul was careful to point out that he's not in ministry for the money. He says in verse 17, not that I seek the gift, I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. He seeks fruit, profit, the gift that goes to the Philippians' credit and account. Because their service, their gifts benefit them too. It's like cashback bonus from a credit card. We are blessed when we give to the Lord's cause. Now, quick time out here. Let me be clear about what, what I'm talking about. I'm not saying, and neither is Paul saying, what preachers sometimes in what's known as the prosperity gospel say. What Paul is not saying, and I'm not saying, is that if we give to God, we get blessings that we want. I'm not saying if you give $10 to God, you'll get $100 back. Not saying that at all. It's not necessarily physical blessings that we're getting when we do this. It's more spiritual blessings. Being faithful, faithfully giving, helps us grow closer to God. It gives us spiritual, eternal blessings. Jesus talked about this in the Gospel of Luke. He said, sell your possessions, give to the needy, provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Jesus, like Paul, talking about spiritual blessings that come when we give to others. And let's think about this. This is actually a really good deal for us because all things belong to God anyway. And anything we have is only because he has given it to us. He's provided it to us. Oh, yes, we work hard for our our paycheck, but the ability to have that job and work, that's a blessing coming from God. So anything we have comes from him. And then if we give not all that, but just some of that back to him, he blesses us. He's already given us these things we give away, and then he blesses us anyway. That's an incredible gift of God. Paul describes it in 2 Corinthians 9. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way, to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. You see, it's almost like a a circle, a, a cycle here. God blesses us so that we bless others, so that they bless God, so that God blesses us more, so we bless others more, and they bless God more. And that's what the Philippians were doing. Verse 18, Paul says he's received a full payment and more. He is well supplied by them. He received from Epaphroditus the gifts, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. Earlier in 2.25, he talks about how Epaphroditus had come. I've thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother, fellow worker, fellow soldier. He was your messenger and your minister to my need. And when Paul got this gift from the Philippians, he had more joy in his prison cell than the Roman emperor ever had in his palace. He describes it as a fragrant, sweet-smelling offering. 
like the Old Testament sacrifices of old, are gifts to those who are serving God's cause, are gifts to one another. They are pleasing to the Lord. Now, again, let me be clear. It doesn't mean that we earn favor with God. Oh, if we give more things to God, God will give more things to us that we want. No, no. But when we give to God, we bring him glory and praise. And passages like this say we're also giving him pleasure. The author of Hebrews puts it this way. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have. For such sacrifices are pleasing to God. When we give there's really at least four parties that are kind of benefiting from this. So when we give to a person, first, well, that that person benefits, obviously. We've given to them. But then they may take that gift or that time, the support they have, and now they're alive because they have money you provided, and they, in turn, bless some others. So that's two parties. The person you give and anybody they bless also is benefiting. The third one is Paul's talking about here, the fruit that increases to our credit. We are blessed as well when we give to others. And then the fourth one is God. God is blessed when we give, support one another. It's a fragrant offering to him. And that's why verse 19 tells us that we can have confidence in our giving. My God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Paul assures the Philippians that God will supply all of their needs. And this reference to every need, all their needs, it's kind of tying back to verse 13 where he said, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Both of these things are true. We can do all things through Christ. We have all our needs met through him as well. Scholar Sean McDonough puts it this way, those who are generous toward God will find that he is generous toward them and will supply their every need in Christ Jesus. As we fill others up, God fills us up. He gives to us from his never-ending riches, his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. As the very popular Psalm 23 begins, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He takes care of us according to his purposes, the purposes that he fulfills in Christ and the purposes he fulfills through us as we live for him. He gives so we can serve. And so let me emphasize that. This is not a promise here in verse 19 that things will always be great. It's not a promise we'll never struggle or never go hungry in a moment, but it is a promise that God knows what he is doing. He will give us what we need for his purposes. As it says in 1 Timothy 6, as for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. Every blessing we have, we owe to God. And having talked about God's blessings, Paul wraps this section up with prayer and praise in verse 20, to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. God gives all things, so he deserves all praise. 
As Paul would write in Romans 11, for from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. This is how we can be content and how we can be blessed in our giving, by giving praise to the one whom it is due. And I I have to brag a little bit about God's blessings on our church family. Because during this season, our church family has been so, so faithful to give. Thank you for your faithfulness in supporting the work here at the church. I can truly say, along with Paul, that we are well supplied. I pray you continue that faithful support so that we can continue serving the Lord together. And I'm so blessed, moved by that, because that's not true of every uh, church or every Christian organization during this time. Many are struggling as people struggle financially. I was moved this week by the story of an 11-year-old girl named Abby, and she had heard that the International Mission Board, the Southern Baptist organization that supports our thousands of missionaries around the world, that they are projecting they may have about a $4 million shortfall, and that may mean that some missionaries are delayed being sent out or that some may have to come back off the field. And Abby was very bothered about this. And so she had saved all year as much as she could for her family vacation. She had saved $32.20 to spend on their family vacation. But with the coronavirus situation, their vacation didn't happen. So she decided to give her $32.20 to support the missionaries. And I thought that was such an encouraging story, reminding us about how we can give what we have and what we've been blessed with to support those in our larger church family who need it. We've thought about that as a church as a whole, how we can do that. We've been very blessed to have a a large mission fund. We were going to go to the Czech Republic this summer to help out and do an English camp with them, but uh, with the coronavirus, we're we're not going to be making that trip, but we are going to support that camp financially. We can't be there to help them run it, but the local believers are really excited about doing this camp, reaching their community for Christ. And so we're going to support them with our gifts, partner with them. And we look forward to the joy of the spiritual blessings of seeing what God does, even through that English camp. Well, in our text, there's only three verses left, but Paul still has more secrets to share. The third secret he has is the secret of greeting, the secret of greeting. And that secret is we should contact one another. We should contact one another. It says in verses 21 and 22, greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. The Christian life is lived in community with real people in a real world. Racial, social, cultural, political divisions are not new to our world. It's not something that just showed up in the past week. No, they were around in Paul's day too. But Paul is saying we can greet one another. We can contact one another. We can be family together. Yes, there are divisions in the world, but the church can be more than that. The church can be better than that. We can be a true family, not based on what we do or who we vote for or what we look like, but based on our commitment to Christ. And even though I've mourned greatly for the things that I've seen in the world this week, you know, I still have hope 
for the world. And the reason I have hope is because I see what Jesus is doing in his church. And Paul could see it too. He said all the saints, all of God's people who are with him in Rome, even though he's in prison, there are all these others around him and they sent along their greetings. He particularly highlights those who are a part of Caesar's household. And that would be anyone connected with the emperor's service. Could be the guards who were watching him, could be even a cook in the palace kitchen, but some of them were Christians. Perhaps he's referring to those he shared the gospel with and kind of a final reminder to the Philippians that as they were supporting Paul, he was still doing the gospel work and leading people to Christ. If you remember way back in chapter one, Paul shared this, I want you to know brothers that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. Every time someone comes to Jesus, the church, our family grows and what a joy that is. I really liked what J.A. Motyer said about these verses. He said the fair vision in verse 21 should spur us to repent, turn away from all that needlessly holds us apart, to pledge ourselves to whatever detachment from worldly loyalties may be necessary in order to honor our superior loyalty to the new humanity, in order to put our commitment to the church to one another first. He says to mourn for what might have been and to cry to God that it might yet come to pass. In other words, our church and the church as a whole, but particularly our church and our community should look like the diverse kingdom of God. We should reflect our community. Every part of our community should be seen represented in our church. And I would to God, I pray that it will be so. But it's not just going to happen. It will only happen when we put our loyalty to God and our loyalty to his people above every other loyalty or attachment that we have. But in the meantime, we do have a church family who's actually here, and we can greet one another, just long for the future, but love the people who are here right now. So we should greet them. Paul says elsewhere in 2 Corinthians 13, greet one another with a holy kiss. All the saints greet you. Now, that's a reference to a particular way of greeting that was common in Paul's day. Uh, Probably not the best idea in the age of the coronavirus, but the principle is the same. We are able to reach out and encourage one another. And even if we're not physically together, we should do that. We should get in contact with one another. Let me challenge you with that this week. Call, text, get in touch with someone you haven't seen. Ask them how they're doing and how you can pray for them. Finally, Paul saves the most important secret for last, and that's the secret of grace. And that secret is, it's all about Jesus. Verse 23, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. This is an important reminder that we are dependent on God's grace. True spiritual growth is a gift of God through the grace of Jesus. He does a work in our lives that we 
do not deserve. This is a very common ending to Paul's letters, the book of Galatians and 2 Timothy end this way. And also Romans does, Romans 16, 20, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. His grace is with us. And it's all about him. Think about our journey through this book. If you've been with us the past couple weeks, we've gone through the entire book of Philippians now. Let's back all the way up. If we're thinking in terms of the big picture, we said this book is about rejoicing together and growing together. Well, the reason we can rejoice together is because of Jesus. We can grow together through his strength, his power, and his spirit. Chapter 1 tells us that we can pray for our church family because we have been united in Christ. We have unstoppable good news about Jesus that we can share. And we can share because we can have courage in him. Because of Christ, we can live worthy lives. Because of Christ, we know that to live is Christ and to die is gain because we get to go home to be with him. Chapter 2 told us that we could have the mind of unity, humility, and selflessness because that is the mind of Christ. Because of Jesus, we can work out our own salvation. We can shine as lights for him in a dark world. Because of Jesus, we can see examples of the mind of Christ lived out in the lives of Timothy, Epaphroditus, others throughout church history, and brothers and sisters in Christ that we interact with every day. Chapter 3 tells us that the meaning of life is not who we are, it's not what we do. The meaning of life is knowing Christ. Because of Jesus, believers can press on toward their heavenly home. Last week we were in chapter 4. We talked about how we do not have to be bitter and anxious. Because of Jesus, we can think about whatever is true, honorable, just, pure, lovely, commendable, excellent, and worthy of praise. And today, we talked about how in Christ we can do all things. We can be content, we can be blessed when we give, and we can greet others. The book of Philippians is all about Jesus. The truth is, all of the Bible is about Jesus. Really, all of life is about Jesus. So let me ask you, friend, do you know Jesus? Do you know this one that this book and that life is really about? Do you have a relationship with him? Believer in Jesus, are you resting in his grace? Are you trusting in yourself or are you resting in him? I pray that if you do not know Jesus, you would know him. And I pray that we would all know the blessings of contentment, giving, and greeting one another. Because the grace of Jesus makes it all possible. And we can praise him for it. Because he alone is worthy. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this time in this encouraging book of Philippians. Teach us to always rejoice together and to grow together. Thank you for these secrets. Thank you for showing us that we can be content because we can do all things in you. That when we give, it benefits us because you are with us. 
that we can greet, we can reach out and contact one another. And thank you for the grace of Jesus that makes it possible. May we praise and live for him every day. Amen.